Don't rank much, but I rank the Beatles, and that may be all I need to rank. That is spectacular. Is that a tear? Do I'm, I detect a tear? Yes. Coming down from your eyeball. Yes. That was beautiful. Thank you. And I love that song. Thank you. That is my gift to you uh, for your uh, undying partnership. And my gift to all you listeners uh, for your continued patronage and support. I've been called the songbird of my generation. <laughs> uh, welcome, everybody. to Was that a... <laughs> like his only big like hit? No, hit? no, no. He's got others. Yeah. There's definitely others. Um, I mean, that was, what was that him and Linda Ronstadt? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like commercially, like. There were others. I'm just I'm blanking because it's the end of a long day. But also, I mean, even if you go back to tell it like it is, that was a huge hit. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just okay. Twenty years previous. Yeah. So I was just thinking of like a like adult contemporary, like you know how like we were talking about Alanis Morissette recently, mm-hmm. and she was like super big on like the alt charts, but right. then with um uh what was ironic. The song? You ought to Ironic know, or, and uh, um, you learn. You learn mm-hmm. those. Those two were like they crossed over into like adult right. contemporary and like put her on a different level. Sure, I think. No, I think you're. I think you're right on. Yeah, can't forget. Uh, everybody plays the fool. Oh yeah, that was such a jam. Jam. Such a jam. Dude's got the jam. How could I have forgotten that song for the for the adult contemporary and the youthful contemporary? I love that song. Those were like ideal songs for like dentist visits in our childhood. Oh, yeah. But those songs have stuck with us over the years. Yeah. It was like good, like office pumped in music. We should see if Aaron wants to come on the show. I feel like we probably know some people that can get us in touch. That know some people. I mean, he's still very much, you know, a local guy. He doesn't live here, but still, you know, New Orleans. Where does he live? I think he lives... um, He's got like a farm somewhere, kind of uh, up north somewhere. Oh, that's yeah. nice. Yeah. Uh, Good for him. At the start of lockdown, he was doing these great live stream uh, performances, just like sitting at a keyboard uh, that was auto-playing instrumental tracks, and he just sang, and it was divine. Absolutely gorgeous. He still got it. Still got it. Still got it. But everybody, welcome to... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, to episode 47. Post-tangent introduction. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to episode 47 of Ranking the Beatles. I'm your host, Jonathan. And I'm Julia. And uh, we're so glad you're here for yet another week of um, ranking, of ranking the, Beatles. the Beatles and <laughs> allowing us to subtly raise your heartbeat uh, once a week, Ooh. <laughs> your blood pressure. Ooh. <laughs> Um, I feel like opinions are getting stronger as we move on down the list. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. We were looking at at the list, at the rankings this week, um, into the looking into the top 100. Um, I feel like we're going to need to put a disclaimer, like at the beginning and ending of every episode. It's like, this is all opinion, and Jonathan actually loves all of these songs. Yeah. And please don't burn our house down. I was looking <laughs> at the weeks that I anticipate I'll be flogged publicly. Um, if not kidnapped and tarred and feathered yikes <laughs> there, there's some definite 
uh, opinionated rankings that are, and it's my placement. So, yeah. Um, whoever we have on for those shows, I'm sure we'll have um, conflicting opinions for some of these songs. I'm excited. I feel like also we should not be like at the same place at the same time for a while. <laughs> Just in case something like happens a, to like us. Like a designated survivor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a little scared. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have done We're this. kidding. We're kidding. <laughs> All of our listeners are super nice and friendly. Uh, we have a wonderful time talking with y'all on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram on the social medias. Listen, Paul discussing where we these live. Rankings. If I wake up and there's like the long and winding road, like written in blood <laughs> in our driveway, I'm going to be very upset. I'm going to know who it is, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Called I'm just you out, kidding. You would Sanchez. never do that. You would never do that. Just <laughs> kidding. Well, in the meantime, until uh, as we await the uh, the impending doom and death threats, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in the meantime, let's talk about our guest for today. Um, our guest this week first hit the rock scene in the '90s uh, as the singer for the rock band Brother Kane, scoring three number one rock singles and supporting bands like Van Halen, Candlebox, Aerosmith, and more. He's written songs for Stevie Nicks, Sammy Hagar, Carlos Santana, and others. And in 2004, uh, he became the guitarist in Alice Cooper's band before making the jump in 2011 to the reconfigured Thin Lizzy, and then the offshoot band. Black Star Riders. In addition to his own solo albums and his most recent solo album, Battle Lessons, with his band The Get Down, uh, just came out in February. So, let's have him on and talk some Beatles, shall we? Um, and it's funny because for a guy who's very much like a guitar player's guitar player, we are not talking about a guitar song today. So, whoops, <laughs> excited about it. I mean, there is a little guitar. There's sure, a little but it's, it's definitely but it's, not like the focal point. Nope. We'll talk about the focal there point. There is a focal point. <laughs> we will get to it. It is not a guitar. Uh, so with that in mind, let's bring him on, shall we? Friends, please welcome to the show, Damon Johnson. Damon, welcome to the show, my friend. How are you? Hi, guys. I am so fantastic. I've been really looking forward to this. Thank you for having me on. I hope you guys are, uh, you look very healthy. You look very happy. <laughs> we so, are. Uh, we are, for sure. We have managed to that's... stay healthy and fairly happy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> how, uh... Well, that's that's an accomplishment this year. Right. Sure. Uh, how has your last year been? I know you said you're up in Nashville. Uh, how has the last year treated you work-wise? Yeah, you know... We're all in the same boat. You know, we all had to, we were forced to pivot. Pivot was a word I know we used a lot back in the spring and early summer of last year. um, You know, I was started, I had just started a record that I knew was going to be really good. And so that COVID threw that calendar into a, you know, a whirlpool. Uh, The live stream thing, we embraced pretty quickly Mm -hmm. and after getting past the first couple and some of the nerves associated with that, we really enjoyed those. And to tell you the truth, guys, it really kind of helped keep us sane. Yeah. You know, my, my band, which is just the three of us, you know, we could we could get in a room and be, you know, safe distance apart, but we could see each other, we could play. Uh, when we finally started filming the live streams, it was so great. And the, my little fan base, they loved it. And, you know, we got better at it. And, 
So the record, we finished it and we put that out. And again, I think for me, the story of 2020 beyond being thankful that my family was healthy mm-hmm. was was that I could get this record finished. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't easy because of COVID. It just really jacked up the the schedule, you know, at the studio because of course every our town was probably like your town. It went into lockdown. Yep. Um, it was just wild, man. And and to tell you the truth, I think I'm already starting to just try and block it out with my head. <laughs> yeah. All of last night, like, like yeah. you know, if uh, if things keep going in the direction they're going, which is obviously productive and positive, and the numbers are going down, and the vaccines have been super helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, you never know, guys. Maybe maybe this time next year we'll be totally out of this thing and straight back to regular touring and yeah. Um, and all that stuff, but we've made the best of it. Uh, that's that cool. was a long-winded answer to your question. <laughs> no, that, that's that's awesome though. Do you did you find you know, did the record change thematically or musically or song-wise over the last year because of because of the the pivot that you had to do? There were two songs that would not have been on the record mm-hmm. had it not been for the pandemic. One was new, one was old. Uh, the new one I wrote in between the um, two of the sessions, like we worked. My producer is Nick Raskulinix, who's a Grammy-winning yeah, I, legend. I recognize his so, name from Foo Fighters liner notes. <laughs> yeah, man, he's a he's a legend. He's just a legend. And so we did three songs, and then we had about eight weeks before we could get back in the studio. And he called me and he said, "Listen, man, I know this record's already going to be great." He goes, but if you could write another song or two, that's never a bad thing. And I remember thinking, he's crazy. This record is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So sure enough, man, you know, someday the next week after that, I was sitting right here in this little office space that I work in. And I started on something that I swear, guys, I think it's my favorite song on the record now. And it wouldn't have happened without Nick. And then there's one acoustic song. Uh, Nick had said, hey, man, we need something where we slow it down and just shift the dynamics. And I was so proud of the rest of the record. I'm like, well, man, whatever this slow song is, it better, it has to be great or, or we're not putting it on there. So I dug into the archives and I found a song that I had always loved. It needed to be finished. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So within the pandemic, I was able to sit down and and dust it off and, and take it to a place that I'm super proud of. So those two songs definitely... Uh, it wouldn't have happened without the pandemic. Fantastic. I feel like every musician has that little vault of like little baby songs oh, that yeah. they've gotten to like 75, 80, 90% and they're like, mm, I just, <laughs> I can't find that thing that it's missing. It's it's good, but it's not great, and I just can't put my finger on it, so I'm going to, like, put it in this little box, and I'm going to come back to it later when I finally can, like, have the time to find that thing. And yeah. you found Julia, the I, ha- I, have to, I have to tell you this story. So one of my major projects in the pandemic, because like everyone else, we had nothing but time. So... You know, first thing I did was I cleaned out my garage and literally like mopped the floor. You could eat off oh of my, my garage. It was so clean. Yeah. Um, but for years and years, I, like so many other songwriters, I've just been, you know, you write something as you were just saying and you don't get it finished. You don't want to throw it away, but you save it. Well, mm-hmm. you know, 
between 1990 and 19, uh, well, 2000, mid-2000s, the only way you could save it was on a cassette tape. <laughs> just cassette tape. So I have boxes and boxes and boxes of cassette tapes that have just been, you know, piling up on the shelf. So I finally oh tackled those boxes. I hooked my cassette deck into my computer and I listened to every second wow. of every one of those tapes. I dumped them into my computer. I made notes. I found a treasure trove. I mean, I've got 10 records worth of, <laughs> <laughs> you know, worth of stuff because some of it was, I think some of the songs were maybe a little sophisticated for me musically back when they were originally written. I didn't start out as a singer and a songwriter, guys. You know, guitar was my first love. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be some weird mix of Jimmy Page and Edward Van Halen. Those were my two gods, you know. <laughs> and and so, thankfully, that had come kind of easy for me, and I was playing in the clubs and, you know, kind of moving up the ladder with that. And I got behind the microphone totally by default or out of necessity, and that forced me to become a songwriter. So I felt like I was a little behind the curve on that. So there's a lot of great music and riffs from that time period that I just wasn't ready to write lyrics for yet. Mm -hmm. Well, now I'm ready. Yeah. Now I'm ready. Now I'm as confident with my singing and songwriting as I as I was about my guitar playing. So I can't wait to dig into that. That's Somebody amazing. Said like, the day, what like, a project <laughs> that you just like yeah, found so, no, all this. Wow. A blessing. Just for a sure. total blessing, for guys. Sure. I have I have deep notes. You know, I, I made word documents like, all right, this tape you know this date and these are the titles you know whatever but my manager's already on me he's like hey man you're gonna have to start writing the next record even though yeah. <laughs> you know battle, battle lessons just came out and i gotta tell you i'm already thinking like no problem man i'll just pull out those tapes and <laughs> <laughs> well and that's that's very much how you know just thinking about beatles that's how that new mccartney 3 album came out it was like it was ideas and like half-finished ideas he was just sitting on that existed in his phone or on his laptop and just kind of built on him. I mean, that's, you know, that's, it's fan. I'm so happy for you that you've got that much material that you've, you know, not that you've taken the, the time to go through and sort. Cause so many musicians don't have the time for that. Mm. Like just cause like we're right. always working, we're always going like I've got stacks of blank CDs or like c CDs that have no writing on them that I know have riffs and song ideas, but now I don't have a CD player to even listen to. Them. So like, oh, well, <laughs> I don't yeah, know what to do with yeah. that. Yeah. Well, I relate. I matter of fact, that cassette deck was not mine. That was Nick's. I had to borrow a cassette deck <laughs> yep. from Nick because I didn't even own one. Anymore, yeah. You know. Man. And I even thought about. I swear, guys, I had thought about just throwing the tapes away. How about that? Oh, no. Yeah. Like ah, you know, it's you old, made the right choice. Past and yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, you yeah. guys are always yeah. so like so focused on pushing forward and what's next, what's coming, because it's like, you know, musicians get in the cycle of you make an album, you tour behind it and then you come back and you make an album and then you tour behind, like it's just you do this and then you do this and it's always forward, forward, forward. You never have the time to look back and go through your tapes, go through your CDs yeah. and you are kind of forced to like. That's a great point. Yeah. That is such a great point. Um, and you just made me realize that, you know, when I look back at those tapes, you know, there's a lot of lyric ideas that I, I, I don't like at all. Mm -hmm. Like, I just be like, Ugh. you could tell I was growing and searching and, 
but lots of the music I was very happy with. Yeah. And so. Well, you're not the same you know, person to, you were. You don't have the same I'm voice. I'm not that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm in a totally different headspace. So I can use the same music and, mel- you know, melodic ideas, but with this experienced, uh, slowly gray haired, turning, uh, <laughs> you know, middle, middle-aged veteran songwriter musician. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Yeah. Well, let's, speaking of gray hairs, let's turn back the clock then. Um, <laughs> and let's think about, let's go back to, to the beginning for you. Um, you know, when do the Beatles first enter the scene for you? What's your first recollection of that? I was hoping you guys were going to ask me that question because I have a technicolor vivid memory Honestly, guys, it may be one of my very first memories as a, as a small child was standing up, looking down at my dad's turntable, his record player. You know, it was just in a box, you know, that had a lid and the speaker was on the side. But he had some Beatles records. You know, they were on Capitol Records. Mm-hmm. And I re- my maybe my very first memory as a kid, a little kid, was watching that Capitol Records logo, you know, go around and around and around. And I associated those, what, seven letters, C-A-P-I-T-O-L. Like that was synonymous with the Beatles. He could have brought a record home by Simon and Garfunkel on Capitol, but that was still the Beatles because it had that logo, you know. (laughs) Um, So... That was, you know, and I just remember singing the early hits. You know, my mom was, my parents had just married when the Beatles were on Ed Sullivan. Mm-hmm. Um, so those very first hits that they had in America, you know, She Loves You, Yeah, 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 I Want to Hold Your Hand. They were literally like nursery rhymes in their simplicity. Uh, they were as they were as omnipresent as happy birthday or God bless America. You know, they were just everywhere. Yeah. Um, and I just, I've talked about it a lot over the last couple of albums I've put out, but I, I think the greatest gift I ever got was being born into a, you know, a musical family. You know, both my parents love to sing. They love the radio. My dad was always buying records and, eight track tapes and things like that. And it wasn't one specific style. He was just like good music. So what a, what a gift for me to get to be exposed to that. The Beatles were a big part of that in the beginning. No question. Was there a, um, was there a a, a record or a song that you can remember was kind of like the first one that sunk your sunk that kind of sunk its teeth into you uh, from a, from a, I guess a buddy musician standpoint, who makes you want to pick up a guitar and be a musician? Well, when you think about my age, cause I was born in 64. So, you know, all the, all the great music, obviously it started with the Beatles and then later the stones and then everybody that came after it. I was still a little kid then, you know, it was still cartoons and after school specials and, <laughs> and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when I was 12 and 13, you know, like we had just gotten into Alice Cooper Kiss came out and just really kind of changed everything. And Jonathan, I have I have older musician friends that I've been in bands with that they always give me a hard time when I would say, 
well, yeah, man, as weird as it sounds, like Kiss was almost like our Beatles. Mm -hmm. Because Kiss, we were old enough that we could get our parents, talk them into going to the JCPenney and buying us a cheap guitar, and we could stand there with it on in front of the mirror. When the Beatles were happening, I was just too young. Yeah. So as far as making me pick up the guitar, it was the next wave or two waves after the Beatles that did that for me, just mm -hmm. because of my age. Sure. But the Beatles were always there. They were always there. Uh, again, just sort of omnipresent for my entire life. And it wasn't until I started songwriting, really, that the Beatles just came right back to the forefront. Like, hey, these are the greatest songs of all time. You know, I can I can mess around and listen to what's hip at the moment or what's on the radio. But here is this whole just, you know, what people say the great American songbook. The Beatles are like the great galactic songbook. <laughs> <you know? laughs> And, yeah. and I learned pretty quickly that if I was searching for thing, you know, something trying to finish a chord progression or a vocal melody, man, I could just put on Rubber Soul or throw on Revolver or the White Album and just hit play on any song and something would reveal itself. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, well, he, he went up here. He went to the same chord I'm on, but he took the vocal melody up where I'm going down. Let me try going up. Little things like that. Yeah. The, you know, the Beatles, the Beatles were the good guys and the Stones were the bad guys, you mm -hmm. know? So I was always like right in the middle. And, and I feel like that my music has probably leaned a little more melodic. Yeah. As, as much as I love the blues, I'm from the South guys. I grew up on, gospel and southern soul music and muscle souls and wilson pickett and aretha franklin all of that man is legit i mean i was born in macon georgia man little richard yep. and otis redding <laughs> all of that it's there but again I, I also had that pop thing that the beatles gave me so you know it's it's always a thrill for me as a as an artist in my own right now when i put out records and people go yeah man you've got the blues but you have this melodic sense mm -hmm. that melodics. The blues came from 20 other bands, the pop stuff, the melodic stuff. That's all John and Paul and George and yeah. Ringo. You totally. Know, I, I'm curious as to how, you know, having that kind of, that kind of background and that, that train of thought. Um, when you started playing with Alice Cooper and with Thin Lizzy and, you know, and correct me if my perception of this is wrong. I always kind of feel like I've read or been told that like bands that came groups that came up in the seventies like that were kind of a, almost kind of a rebellion to what had happened in the, in the sixties with the Beatles, that kind of more simplicity, that pop thing. And it became more about, um, you know, volume and intensity and, you know, kind of like, I don't, I don't want to say rage cause that's not quite the right word, but like a bit more aggressive, you know? Um, so once you're in those bands and, and I, I, I know that it's also, you know, well past the seventies when you start playing with them. Um, but how do you kind of reconcile that, you know, that innate kind of melodic pop sensibility you have with also having to like hold down, you know, these Alice Cooper tunes or the, like these thin Lizzie like classic great, riffs. What a great question, man. What okay. a great question. I've never been asked that. I've never even thought about it that way. And, and two things come to mind, you know, I think about Alice who I just saw last weekend, mm -hmm. uh, by the way. Nice. And, uh, yeah. And, um, 
guys, the thing about Alice Cooper is that he is as big a music fan as you or I or anyone. Yeah. Passionate, knowledgeable, a, a nerd, just a total nerd. Man. He knows who <laughs> played on what record and where it was recorded and who produced it and all that stuff. Alice would talk a lot about how, you know, it was really the Stones and the Who that were the catalyst for that raw power, that energy, the power chords mm -hmm. and the, you know, the scare factor. Let's be honest, man. You know, yeah. in the early 70s, Alice Cooper was the equivalent of Marilyn Manson or something. Yeah, he was, yeah. He was public enemy number one to the parents. The kids all loved kids it. loved it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he will tell you that they, they were focused on having the sexiness and the swagger and the, the rawness that the bluesier bands like the Stones had. But when it came to writing those melodies, think about it. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Mick Jagger never sang anything yeah. <laughs> like that. For sure. You know? For sure. That's total Beatles. So, yeah, man. I, and I do think those bands were a little bit of uh, maybe, you know, some rebellion against the, the squeaky clean image, the, you know, the Beatles were very nice. Listen, that's why the Beatles rebelled themselves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's why, th th that's why we have Sergeant Pepper and, and magical mystery tour, because they were like, forget this, man. We're tired of wearing the suits and trying to be these like sweet, lovable characters. They, yeah. they become like car cartoon characters and I get it. I'm sure we would all, have wanted to rebel if we were in that their position as well. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that that was that first wave of music and Alice and then Lizzie ironically came from about the same time. And then as you know, the next rebellion was punk mm -hmm. and that, you know, that was a whole other level. There wasn't a lot of Beatles influence in punk music. Yeah, for sure. Like at all. So, um, and, and as we talk about this in from a timeline standpoint, isn't it interesting that the Beatles never went away? They never lost favor. They never went through like, a well, nobody cares about the Beatles anymore. There's never been a time that the world didn't care about the Beatles because it's just not going to happen. Yeah. It's too it's too special there. You know, they are Beethoven, you know, Mo Mozart level important you know it'd just be great to read music history books in 300 years yeah for and, sure. and, and see how people look back at, at this era I, I think that's kind of the the benefit to the the downside of them breaking up you know like and and never reuniting is the benefit is that that catalog and that career is just frozen and it can't change so yeah. all that perfection in those eight years that's it that's all you got you know, and like not a lot of bands on that level, you know, have that short a career to that and where that's all you can judge from. Because like as great well, as the Stones are or the Who are, like they have their fallow periods and every artist does. Um, the Beatles just never had it together. Right. No, and it is it is rare. Almost they're almost a unicorn yeah. <laughs> in, in the mm -hmm. in that respect. Um and as we know, they were pioneering so many things about what we now know as the modern pop music business, along with other bands, of course. But, you know, 
the thing about being in a creative setting and like just four guys and writing all the songs and that was a totally unique concept, man. Mm -hmm. And as you get older, you change, your life change changes. You want to start a family or at least start a relationship. Those people are important to you. There was no roadmap guys to how to navigate that. Mm -hmm. There was none. And, um, so and it's that just really fascinating. For them. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, it, oh, of course it got, su- it got super intense for them. And, um, you know, we'll never know what might've happened had John lived and, um, you know, time heals a lot of wounds. And I, I think you guys probably feel the same way I do. They would have re- reunited in some way at some point. Yeah, I think so. You know, when, when, when you, when you have a chance to kind of get past all that stuff, but Listen, you're talking to somebody that's been in five different bands, like fully focused, full-time bands in the last 30 years. And they were all fantastic and all amazing. They were all really difficult. They all had things about it that made it either really challenging or ultimately just unsustainable. Mm-hmm. It just it just wasn't going to be able to, to, to work. So... We've been talking about that a lot recently about the relationship between members of a band because it's not it's not a romantic relationship. You know, it's it's a completely different, very intense relationship. It's so much more intense than people can understand unless you're in a band or in a creative unit. You know, that relationship. It's not just like your friend or your buddy. Like when you create something with somebody and you go all in on an idea together and a passion of something, it creates such a, I think a tighter bond that a lot of people I think don't understand the complexities of those relationships. Well said, both of you very well said. And you're so like when you're creating with someone, you're so vulnerable, Mm -hmm. you know, like you're putting yourself out there and you know, you found this person or persons, you know, depending on how many you have that are willing to like share in this little, like, baby dream with you and like try and do this with you. And, and it's um, you're vulnerable and it's like very scary and very intense. And I forgot my train. Well, of like, and as a songwriter, <laughs> you know, especially as a lyricist, you're taking your innermost thoughts and entrusting two or three other people to help realize that thought with you. And that is, you know, like one of the ultimate trusts, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, see, guys, you're getting into some territory that really gets me passionate. I mean, I, I, I'm giving you that caveat in advance because I, I will. We could talk for three hours about this. I'm sure. telling you, <laughs> uh, it's really at the heart of why it is the reason I decided to move on from Black Star Writers, which was the offshoot band that we started out of Thin Lizzy, so we could write new music right. and put out put out records great band great experience i loved it but again five guys everybody's got to be on the same page Mm -hmm. conference calls for everything email chains for everything so difficult to make the simplest decisions Mm -hmm. and i had had enough of that i'm not saying i couldn't take it anymore i had just had enough of it Mm -hmm. so i was so fortunate to be able to step back and go, well, what else, what would be my, what would I want to do then? If not this, well, maybe I should get back behind the microphone and be a singer full time and just write my songs. 
-hmm. I was beginning to write some songs that I was bringing in that weren't necessarily a good fit for Black Star Writers. Songs that I loved, songs that I was like, wow, I can't believe they didn't want to work on that. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and, you, and I'm not going to pretend that it doesn't, I wouldn't say it hurt my feelings, but it did make me go, okay, if those guys can't see the value in this idea, maybe I need to reevaluate what I'm doing because that's a really strong, you know, idea right there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're meeting each other and talking now when I'm in year three of being the guy, the boss, I am Tom Petty. I am Neil Young. It's my way or the highway. And I love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. I, I love it that way. And, and, you know, and I, because I've been a side man, I've been in so many bands, the guys in my band, the get ready, Jared and Robbie, I, they've even said to me how, how much, how much confidence it gives them and how appreciative they are that I'm always very thoughtful about their position and how they feel. And, you know, I want them to be fired up about this stuff. So I just feel like instead of making them write the songs, I just need to show it with great songs mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and let them, and that's what I did. And then everybody brings it to life together. That's, that's the yeah, dream. Man. Yeah. I do all the heavy lifting. Like, all right, man, I've written these lyrics and I got this arrangement and, listen to it and then do with it whatever you want. Yeah. A and they love that. And I love that. I love the final product of that. So, yeah. But So the relationship with the band, you know, the Beatles are, of course, historical with their, you know, their breakup. And it's just so, it's, it, it's even unfathomable, unfathomable now to think that they, you know, filed a lawsuit against Paul because right. Paul was basically trying to protect their interests, mm -hmm. you know, and it was just so complicated. What a hot mess. Right. I, uh, what a hot mess. The Beatles, what a hot mess. <laughs> what a hot mess. <laughs> That's the name of the book I'm going to write at the end of this podcast. <laughs> man, that was, well. That, yeah, that was crazy, man. That was crazy. For sure. Well, let's, uh, I know we've got limited time with this. So I want to go ahead and get into our song for this week. If that's, uh, if we're ready for it, we feel good. Please do. Please awesome. do. Awesome. Yes. All right, everybody. Coming in this week at number 170 is The Fool on the Hill. Day after day, alone on a hill, the man with the foolish grin is keeping perfectly still. But nobody wants to know him. They can see that he's just a fool. And he never gives an answer But the fool on the hill Sees the sun going down And the eyes in his head See the world spinning round Written in early 1967 While the band are still working on songs For Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band Fool on the Hill makes its first appearance in the studio September 6th, following a session for I'm the Walrus. After the band wrapped work in the early hours the next morning, uh, Paul sticks behind and lays down a piano and vocal demo of the track, uh, which he's been almost a bit cagey about the subject matter on. Um, he's never really divulged who he's talking about. Um, he claims that uh, he was just playing the piano at his father's house one day, noodling around on a D6 chord, and just made up Fool on the Hill on the spot. 
uh, with lyrics telling the story of a man who sits quietly on a hill while others laugh at his silence. Uh, he has said that maybe he was thinking about someone like the Maharishi, uh, whose detractors often pointed to his giggling nature as foolish, uh, but I'm not sure that makes sense because he didn't actually meet the Maharishi until August of that year, but it was in April when he wrote the song down on his original pie chart drawing idea for the Magical Mystery Tour film. Uh, some say it may be somewhat anonymous, anonymously autobiographical, kind of like John's Nowhere Man, uh, though I'd hardly call Paul, especially in 1967, a fool. Uh, so on September 25th, three takes of a rhythm track featuring only Paul's piano and John's acoustic guitar were recorded, uh, with take three being marked the best. From there, overdubs were the name of the game for the next couple days. Everything from guitar, finger cymbals, maracas, harmonicas from John and George, and possibly two members of the Moody Blues. It's not confirmed, but they have taken credit. Uh, flutes, and also, of course, Paul's recorder solo. Uh, the I think so- I'm just going to like jump out and take credit for something on a Beatles album. Just be like, right? yeah, it was me. I did that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> just put it out there. You should. You should. Uh, the song, of course, was featured in the Beatles uh, film Magical Mystery Tour in a scene that Paul filmed uh, apart from the rest of the group in Nice, France, playing the role of the fool dancing along a hillside uh, during the uh, the sunrise. It was released in the UK on the Magical Mystery Tour double EP and in the US on the Magical Mystery Tour album. The Beatles, of course, never performed it live, but it's been part of Paul's live show off and on since Wings' final tour in 1979. So, why do I have Fool on the Hill at 170? So... I think this is actually a really beautiful song. Musically, it's kind of quintessential McCartney. Uh, it's a gorgeous melody that just kind of floats along throughout the song. Uh, major key verse literally kind of sounds like the equivalent of your head in the clouds. Uh, and then it switches to minor key on the chorus, which gives the listener this feeling of, should I maybe be concerned about this uh, fool? Are they okay? Uh, but then it goes back to the major key and shows that everything's okay in the little world of the fool. Um, it's a beautifully recorded song production-wise. I absolutely adore it. Uh, the piano just kind of glides along. The acoustic just shimmers in between the vocal. I think the harmonicas that kind of swell underneath it are a really great touch and really just give an, inter- an interesting texture to it. Um, my one caveat, I've got to say, though, is that recorder solo. Uh, it's such a big decision you know, to take a solo break in a song and use an instrument like the recorder, which is such a abrasive aggressive sound but it's also still kind of a silly sound uh which maybe perfectly fits the idea of the fool um and maybe that's something that's always kind of turned me off on the track uh i think maybe if it was mixed a little bit lower and didn't stick out quite so much on the track it might keep me from putting the song as low as i have it in the rankings but also i feel like i could never connect with this song lyrically um i can find something about myself in a love song or in a happy song or a sad song or an angry song. I can see myself uh, in the laziness of Nowhere Man. I can see myself as the person that needs cheering up in Hey Jude, or the person just like screaming out some kind of demon in Helter Skelter. But I've never felt a connection to someone who just kind of keeps their head uh, in the clouds and lives the life of a fool. Uh, Julia may think differently though, but uh, it's just something I've never seen myself in. But I think overall, an absolutely gorgeous song uh, that sometimes kind of gets lost in the shuffle of all the great material they were putting out in 1967. So that's my two cents. The floor is open. Damon, I throw it to you, my friend. Wow, you covered so much, <laughs> Jonathan. I mean, I, I could I could sit here and ramble on with the, the remaining time we have, like, with no problem. Uh, 
I'm going to start with this because um, that was amazing what you said, by the way, like your like your whole like I'm talking about your own opinion about it and stuff. That's that's great. And listen, isn't that why the Beatles are the greatest of all time is because so millions and millions and millions of us have similar passionate opinions, pluses or minuses or whatever. But for me, uh, when I was younger, there was a childlike nature with fool on the hill and i think the recorder added to that totally mm-hmm. it you know the recorder is what we played in in like music school in kindergarten first right, grade yeah. you know anybody could pick up a recorder i don't know that paul did that intentionally but it certainly connected for me um right before we started our interview i was sharing with you that my my son gabriel who is now 16, he's a junior in high school. But when he was a baby, like his first three years, man, that's all he wanted to listen to was Magical Mystery Tour, that collective of songs. I adore that. And, it's fantastic. You know, and, and so for Fool on the Hill to be right there at number two after the big opening, you know, title track, um, that was a special place for that song to be. And I thought it was perfect because, again, that vocal melody, Paul could have sang the ingredients off of a box of Cheerios <laughs> over that melody and we would love it right? because that melody is so good. It is so incredibly good. And the thing about Fool on the Hill, there are like five different sections of incredible, like totally unique passages of a vocal melody, you know? And I just think that was his gift. Mm-hmm. You know, he and John together obviously are magical, and there's been hundreds of books written, some of which are their own biographies. Um, you know, that was the gift that Paul brought to the Beatles was was melody. And it wasn't until I was much older that I was able to read about and begin to pay attention to, like, even though they were all credited to Lennon and McCartney, they each had their own style. And sure. you can tell, like, oh, okay, that's more of a John song. Mm-hmm. I can tell by that lyric and that arrangement that John probably brought that in and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, just, you know, I just found that fool on a hill was a song that I would walk around singing. It would just come to me. Uh, th- there's something thoroughly sugary, tasty, memorable, uh, about that. Even more than some of the other Beatles songs. I don't know why I'm just, you know, when you guys reached out to uh, to Michelle and she's like, well, here's the songs to choose from. I took a quick look at the page and I just went, oh, boom, fool <laughs> on the hill. That's the one. I'm not even saying it's my favorite song, but I just love it so much. And, you know, it's really meant a lot to me in my life, me, me and my youth and discovering the Beatles. And then, of course, later with my own kids who, yeah. who all, all love the Beatles. Well, I think you said like it is such a great kid song because it is uh, aside from the recorder like a fairly mellow song like there's nothing it's not very intense like it's it's very sort of sweet and a little bit on the quiet end um like the piano is really nice you know and then the recorder part and then we were trying to figure out what the instrument was in the background that it goes like boom boom I don't know what it is. You think it's harmonicas. Yeah, I think it's I think bass it's harmonicas. A, you think it's bass harmonicas. I think it's a mouth harp 
someone tell us. Um, ah, I wish I knew. That's a great yeah. question. Because they're both yeah. listed on the instruments for the track. My so. thought is it's, I, th- I think it's a combination of both. I think it's a bass harmonica that's going boom, 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 boom. But then I think also the mouth harp is accenting the same pattern of dong, oh, okay. doing. So maybe together, doing, maybe it's both. Doing, maybe we're yeah. both right. That, that's kind of what I'm thinking. That's possible. <laughs> it could be happening. It, yeah. it could happen. I is mean, it, is it not, could it, could it not just be like a tuba or well, like a... We that's what thought I thought, that. but it's not on the instrument listing. Like I looked, because uh, I was like, uh, what is it? I was like, is it a tuba? Is it like a sousaphone? Like, what is that? And I looked it up and like, neither of those are on here. It's more of a cordial sound. Like it's not, like It's like air coming over reeds, like a... A harmonica or like a pump organ of some some type, um, as opposed to like the umpa of a, a tuba or a sousaphone. Yeah, but so like the the recorder and that together gives it a bit of sort of like a childlike quality. I think so. I think that is like such, I think that would be really pleasing to a kid to like hear well, when I, they're like resting or you know they want to have like oh yeah a little. Well, it was chill. it was no no question. My my son just was so passionate about it. So much so we got him a Beatles T-shirt. We've got a photo hanging in our hallway of him yeah. and his Beatles shirt. When he's like three years old, <laughs> Magical Mystery Tour was the record. No contest. Like, you know, we played all the other Beatles records and we had books with photos and he would be interested. Mm-hmm. But he would always go back to... He, Mystery Tour, that's what he called it. He'd just say Mystery Tour. Mystery Tour. <laughs> Mystery tour. Oh, that's so sweet. You know, another thing I thought about, too, guys, is because uh, you were saying that Paul never really came totally clean, like where he got the lyric from. Listen, man, Paul might have been having a little smoke and he can't even really remember where it came from. <laughs> That's, so in 67, like, the odds are very really, high. <laughs> yeah, the odds are really high. But, well, he's been a lifelong toker, as we know. I mean, yeah. and, and, and for me, as someone who never really does smoke pot, I have. And I, I have even recently, but it's just never been a motivator for me. I've always wanted, though, to like, maybe I could do it now with like edibles or something, <laughs> to have them here, have it here in my workspace uh-huh. and, and find that right balance to where it's just enough that you can tune out, okay, I got to go fix the dryer or I got to <laughs> cut the grass or you know what I mean? That I yeah. can block that out enough to focus on the idea. Paul has talked often and eloquently about the benefit of that mm-hmm. I, i'm taking the long way around to get back to the lyric i i love the again as you said julia the childlike essence of the melody as well as that lyric you know the fool you know day after day you know alone on a hill that could be the intro to any saturday morning cartoon theme yes. song wow, yeah. you know yeah. that kind of thing but then as you get into the lyric and, of course, the line about, um, you know, no, nobody ever hears him. Nobody ever hears him. See, instantly the whole theme of it shifts for me. Like, it, then it becomes like a song for all of us that feel like maybe we're not being heard. And this is as grown-ups. This isn't just as little kids. Mm-hmm. Who Who can't relate to... I'm trying to get this point across and she's not listening or they are not listening. 
I'm trying to write these great oh. songs, and they don't really like me very much. <laughs> <laughs> They're making fun of my recorder. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So I'm going to go make so then my all own band. <laughs> yeah. So then all of a sudden, this very childlike, nursery, rhymey, melodic thing gets very heavy, very thoughtful, very wow. instructive. See, the Beatles music was always so instructive. You just felt like they taught us how to live. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they ever set out to do that, but they certainly did. They, you know, they, they taught us how to, to interact, how to deal with loneliness or fear or frustration or love, joy, you know, it's all in those songs. Mm -hmm. And to me, to me, fool on the hill kind of, it covers all that stuff, man, just within one song. If you, you know, if you let your mind go a little bit and kind of open to that that interpretation of it. But uh, I do think that's an incredibly thoughtful shift in the lyric right there. You start yeah. going, oh, wow, this yeah. is kind of sad. This, yeah. this guy, is, uh, he just wants to be heard. We all want to be heard. I've wanted to be heard my whole life. Guys, I'm 56. I still want to be heard. Right. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny that I feel like I've never considered this in the perspective of like its appeal to children, but it's so obvious now that we talk about it. Yeah. Um, but then it's also funny because before you pivoted to it, uh, I was thinking about, and you know, same thing, you know, we don't smoke pot very often, uh, few and far between. Um, but I was thinking how nice it would be to just kind of blissfully lay down on like a cool day and hear this song just kind of like glide over you. But then that recorder comes in <laughs> and just pulls you out of that bliss. But <laughs> uh, You know what, brother, I, I'm going to let you own that. I think you're totally right. Look. It's like I, I I have no argument with that, Jonathan. There's nothing I can say to debate you on that. You're you're right. I mean, and there, I don't even know just, that it would have worked if it wasn't as prominent a part. You know? Yeah, because like the actual bananas part of this is as abrasive as it is. It's so catchy. It is. It it's is. so catchy. It oh, just yeah. gets in your yeah. brain. Like all yeah. day, we've been like walking around the house, like. Doo, 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 doo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, how I many? I don't know if you guys. I don't know if you guys whistle, but I, mm -hmm. I was whistling that melody, you know, earlier today, consistently just, for the last few days. Yep. <laughs> yeah, man. It's just. It's so. It's so utterly sugary, sticky. You just can't escape it. Yeah. No, it's that it's that great. It's that great. It really is. That's so Paul. Paul McCartney, you monster. <laughs> <laughs> you genius monster. <laughs> well, do you guys remember do you guys remember that scene in Dave Grohl's movie Studios, you know, Studio City? Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, they did the jam with the different people and at the end McCartney comes in. Yeah. Um I love that scene right at the very end so much when they're listening back to the track and they're kind of celebrating the fulfillment of like, wow, this is really cool. This turned into something great. And Dave goes, yeah, man, this is amazing. If it could just be that easy all the time. And Paul looks at him and goes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Yeah. 
That's the most McCartney I thing. S- <laughs> I swear, I swear on my Tom Petty poster right over here. I'm not, I'm not making this up when I tell you. I've literally thought of getting those two words tattooed on my body somewhere. Yeah, it is. It is, and, and a period, and a period after the it. Yeah. Because that just hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm like, man, I've made this too difficult all these years. Right. I've been making it so hard. It shouldn't be hard. If you're a songwriter, if you really are a songwriter, because I, I thought about it. I'm like, well, maybe I'm not a songwriter. Maybe I'm just a guitar player. No shame in that. No harm in right. that. Right, yeah. But what it, but what it did, it, it just pushed me to keep working mm-hmm. and keep trying. And so now, here I am. I've put out these two new records in the last three years, and I've never had more joy writing songs than these two records. They were the least labored over. They just, they just sort of appear, and you just stay in it, you know. And and, and it's a puzzle, and you just, hey, how how's this working? I like this riff. I like this melody. Let's. I, this lyric, this line is good. All right, it should it start it? Should it end it? I don't have like a, I don't have a, a routine or like a like a, a pattern or a what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like a you know, people write, yeah, like people write a pop song that's a big hit, mm-hmm. and then the next song they put out, they're trying to do the same song again. Yeah, yeah. There, there's there's not a method or a, or a, or a set way of doing it, but. It's just so much more fun now to write songs, and um, that was that was a great scene in that film, and and so I know that Paul George is my favorite Beatle, mm-hmm. by the way. Okay, I was going to ask you, but George George is my favorite, um, but more of what he became after the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, all things must pass was such a seismic tidal wave of just i mean who saw that coming man right and now we it's got- like a kid it's like a kid sitting on the bench for the la lakers and all of a sudden he comes in and he <laughs> drops 60 points in right. one game it's like, <laughs> what happened but uh you know i was i'm just a fan of 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 george's the how he looked at life you know the books he read mm-hmm. uh the relationships he had with his friends and uh, his love life and how that evolved and, and, and all of that stuff, man. For sure. But, but Paul is to me, he's the master songwriter. He is the master songwriter of this era. Yeah. Uh, and you know, the only other people I think you could put in that discussion would be Dylan. Um, Joni Mitchell, you know, the the output of just memorable, special, incredible songs Mm -hmm. that that Paul brought to the table within the Beatles and then after the Beatles. It's, uh, it's, I mean, I don't even know. (laughs) Yeah, I don't even, it's inspiring and terrifying all at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know if it's a debate. It just sort of is the the truth. That's just, that's just what it is. So, Um, I know that there is something about Paul's writing that I am one of the people that it just really spoke to loudly. And so, you know, Fool on the Hill, I've just, I've heard it my whole life. It's been a part of now, you know, my family's life, my kid's life, that record in particular. Uh, I like what you said a minute ago, Julia, that 
You know, it wasn't abrasive. You were talking about the song, mm -hmm. Fool on the Hill. In a way, Magical Mystery Tour as a whole wasn't quite as heavy, you know, as Sgt. Pepper mm -hmm. or, or Revolver and then certainly the White Album. Um, I mean, I, I know for a fact that Helter Skelter scared the shit out of my parents. They were just like, what? What has happened to the Beatles? Right. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah. So, uh, I yeah, have to. Just, I, uh, I really wish that I I could have been like alive to experience people experience "Love Me Do" and "Helter Skelter" <laughs> like in the right. same lifetime in real time. Right. You know, just like right. Oh, let me do. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Just like I, if I could like time travel, that's what I would want to see. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know that was. I'm just, there's no question that that was them expressing their frustration. You know. It's, yeah. Uh, How did what, they? Like, what is it? Explore the entireness of humanity in eight years. Like yeah. Every Jesus. emotion, every every period of life. Like how, how, how? <laughs> well, you know what? That's a, that's a great question. And honestly, I think I have maybe not necessarily the answer, but I have an answer. And you just got to remember that those guys, and this obviously was part of what led to their breakup, that messy breakup, because mm -hmm. no one had ever broken up before. Um, yeah. Cause there, there'd never been bands before, right. but they were 100% consumed with the Beatles. They lived it day in and day out. Yeah. There was no, hey guys, let's do this for March, April, and May. Let's take off a couple months and then we'll come back. There was none of that. Mm -hmm. yeah. It was, just go. once it started hitting, you know, and so they lived together, they slept together, they created together, they recorded together, they played shows together, they dated some of the same girls at the mm -hmm. same time. You know, it's like, they just they were making it up as they went, but that's the only way you can have that kind of output. It just has to be your, it's more than just your focus. It's your entire life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you know, so maybe if they had the like a better work-life balance, <clears throat> they wouldn't have been so great. <laughs> right. And, and again, right. Totally. You're probably right about that. I yeah. mean, listen, I, I love watching some of these old Bob Dylan documentaries and, you know, during that run of records, he made, you know, Highway 61 revisited and, and uh, you know, all the way up to like blood on the tracks. He was a mess. He was an amphetamine, just typewriter in his lap constantly and doing shows. And gosh, he looked like he weighed 95 pounds soaking yeah. wet. Couldn't have been healthy. But oh, my God, the songs that he wrote right. in yeah. that time period on unparalleled yeah. there's yeah. no you know so it's wild the the Beatles, the Beatles had that focus and you know i'm i'm happy that paul has he he just seemed to be the one that was the most adjusted mm -hmm. he seemed to be the one that had the least problem with all of it yeah i think paul paul would have stayed in the Beatles. he would have stayed oh for sure that was he was trying to keep it all together i think he yeah, knew yeah i think he had to he he, most... he liked the comfort of the group i think he like that family, you know, setting that they had. And, uh, you know, there just comes a point where, you know, like you said, things just become unsustainable. Um, you know, it's, it's hard. I think he would have gotten back together as soon as they could have, if they could have all, you know, sat down and worked it out. I see you climbing to the top of the tower, 
Well, let's knock out a couple rapid-fire questions before we let you go. Just off the top of your head, uh, your favorite Beatles song. My favorite Beatles song. It can be at the moment. Right? <laughs> yeah, my favorite Beatles song right now in this moment would be Here, There, and Everywhere. Love it. Adore it. Uh, what's your least favorite Beatles song? I... Oh, I know I have one. I know I have one. <laughs> and it's somewhere on the White Album. I struggled with that record, you know, mm-hmm. because I had been such a fan of, of that period of Revolver, Rubber Soul, Sgt. Pepper, Magical Mystery Tour. They got a little weird. I wasn't old enough to un- appreciate the weird then. Uh, you know, everybody's got something to hide with me and my monkey. Mm-hmm. Uh, Okay. Yeah, I love it now. <laughs> I love it now. It rocks but I, what? I remember I, I remember I struggled with that a yeah. little bit. So uh, that's a tough question to ask a songwriter, man. Because sure, sure. the Beatles, like, they're they're like uh, they're like Raquel Welch. They have no blemishes. Man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, favorite Beatles album. Uh, my favorite Beatles album would would probably have to be Rubber Soul. You know, that was that was for to me in my opinion, that was when they really grew up, the transition started, uh, the chord progressions got really sophisticated. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about so many songs and so many records, some of these uh you know, like Norwegian Wood, the sophistication of that. That is on rubber soul, am yeah. I right? Yeah, correct. I'm right yeah. about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That one's my favorite. You know, yeah, the Dylan influence was there, man. You know, like John was was fearless in saying, like, yeah, there's this guy, Bob Zimmerman, that has changed the he's changed the molecular structure of the room, you know. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, the the She Loves Yous and the I Wanna Hold Your Hands were definitely a thing of the past at that point. Yeah. And uh, great great guitar playing. Oh, for sure. By all of them. Yeah. All of them. Paul the Paul included. Paul was playing great guitar parts as well. So, yeah, good guitar record, Rubber Soul. Uh, last one, your favorite memory associated with the Beatles. Oh, guys, it will forever be my son, Gabriel. When yeah. he was a baby, he would, you know, we would turn on this little light in the morning when it was time for him to get up, and then you would hear him stir around, and then he would raise up on the side of that bed and stick his little blonde head you know and his eyes would come up and they say good morning and i'm not making this up sometimes his first words would be mystery tour miss tour miss tour so i had it you know i had it on a cd on a little cd player by his bed and i would just hit start and it would do that da 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 with a mystery tour and he would just stand there you know and start dancing around and we would just start our day with with magical mystery tour what a so it's wake up song though like way better than any terrible alarm on your cell phone <laughs> for sure hey julia julia when i was in grade school my dad used to wake us up to the theme song from the movie rocky <laughs> I mean, I am, if you I want to be expired, I am scarred. <laughs> I am scarred to this day from that. You're like, I want no part of that. I mean, yeah. So, so uh, Gabriel had it easy. He had it pretty easy. So, much that so is Gabriel a musician? 
Gabriel loves music. He is not a musician. He yeah. doesn't play. Um, I, I have two daughters. My middle daughter, Sarah, plays guitar and sings a little bit just for fun. Uh -huh. But she's got a great voice. She actually sang on an acoustic record I put out about 10 years ago. And just nice. Cool. Did a great job. Uh, my youngest daughter, Jolene, she plays the piano, sings. Uh, she loves Billie Eilish. She loves Harry Styles. And, um, you know, I would never discourage them from pursuing a career in music, but I won't, I won't beat around the bush that it's really tough. Yeah. And I think they just, I think they just know it instinctually. They, you yeah. know, they've grown up around a full-time musician that isn't, Bruce Springsteen or Rod Stewart or somebody super successful and you know they see it's it's hard work but they also see how fulfilling it is I wouldn't yeah. trade it for anything guy yeah. yeah I wouldn't trade it that's fantastic yeah. and and Battle Lessons is out now it's fantastic it it rocks it's heavy it's super melodic the choruses are just insanely catchy the whole time like I'm in man I'm a fan I thought the record was fantastic <laughs> I'm hoping you know are you are you planning to uh, to tour it next year later this year Jonathan 100% man listen the minute we can get the green light we're we're this is my full-time focus now yeah so awesome. you know I've I've built a great little team in a couple of years I got a great manager Kevin my agent he's drinking the Kool-Aid he loves Damon <laughs> Johnson and the get ready beautiful and uh you know man I I think my greatest uh asset is the right word at this moment is that I've been around as long as I have, and I haven't lost any enthusiasm for it. I'm, I love to work hard. I get up early every day and hit it hard. My fans see it. Uh, the people in the business see it. And I just got a feeling, man, we're going to we're gonna catch a, a lucky acorn sometime next year. You know, maybe get on a big tour that we can go out and really grow our fan base yeah. a little bit. Yeah. These, these, song, these songs are written and recorded for the stage. For these, sure. these are meant oh, to sure. be played. And, these are meant to be played in front of swarms of people yeah so, uh, for sure well where yeah. can uh where can everybody keep up with everything uh as far as you know social media tour dates in the future music etc jonathan i always appreciate anyone asking that especially as an independent artist thank you so much man sure. damon john damon johnson.com has everything that's where you can get the physical if you're interested the cd the vinyl i've been it's been a long story about the vinyl, but it's we're expecting it any day. Mm -hmm. I've got a stack of orders over here on this dry erase board. It's <laughs> nice. Like, yeah. So, yeah. but oh, it's uh, so backed up I'm, vinyl pressing. My goodness, yeah, it's, it, it's been rough. It's been rough. But uh, I'm on all the socials, guys. I'm really active on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, official Damon Johnson is Instagram and Facebook, and then Damon J Official is Twitter. Again, all that stuff is it damonjohnson.com so wonderful uh, i appreciate awesome. i appreciate you asking about that happy to share the love man uh it's been an absolute pleasure damon thank you so much for taking some time to do this with us we hope you've uh, enjoyed it we have 169 other songs uh to do so if you want to come back uh you've got an open invitation man oh guys listen well, let's do it again <laughs> we'll have we'll have more time and uh I've really enjoyed this. I'm so happy that the girls reached out to you and that we could Same. connect like yeah. this. Continued success. Stay healthy. Same to you. And you uh, I hope I see you soon. Where are you, by the way? We're in what New Orleans. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love New Orleans, man. Yeah. I love New Orleans. I was just about to say, we'll see you when your tour swings through New Orleans. Yes. <laughs> do, you guys, do you guys know who Anders Osborne is? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
I was not familiar with Anders until about two years ago, and I'm kind of silently stalking him. Oh, he is so like, he's wow, so, he's so talented, man. Yeah. So talented. I'd love to see him play sometime. He plays he's around here all the time. He plays all over yeah. the place. He's a great songwriter. He is, yeah. Authent- authentic. Authentic in every way. Mm-hmm. I'm a fan. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Love it, man. Well, if you head down this way, please keep, uh, let us know, and we'll keep in touch. Absolutely. And, uh, well, we'll for sure. Again. Please do, guys. A pleasure. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks and, uh, so much, I'll speak man. speak to you soon. Have Likewise. a great show tomorrow. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Enjoy it. It's going to be awesome. So We're very Enjoy excited. <laughs> Beautiful. Thanks, Thank man. You. Bye, Damon. Have a All good right. night. Bye-bye. Damon Johnson, everybody. How about that? So what a what a what a ball, man! I gotta tell you, um, one of the coolest things about this podcast is the the people that we're meeting, um, it, it, the friends we've made along the way. Oh my gosh, <laughs> uh, you're such but, a cheese ball. But no, it's really, true. like it's, it's true. true. Like we're meeting, you know, all these great people. Uh, we're being, you know, hip to new music that we didn't know about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, writers we didn't know about. Like this is it. Like it's so much more fulfilling than just like gratuitously throwing up onto a microphone for two hours, you know, yes. and just like, right. But like <laughs> it's fulfilling. No one wants to listen to the two of us ramble on for right. two hours. That would be, that's why everyone tunes out at... after the interviews. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I, I'm really finding it to be personally fulfilling. Uh, you know, the, the things, the people and things that we are, uh, experiencing and learning and gaining, uh, from doing this. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so we, I hope everyone here is enjoying it. I hope we're, you know, turning you on to some music and uh, artists that you maybe weren't familiar with. And now you can go check out um, lots of good stuff. Uh, Damon Johnson's new record. Fantastic. Battle Lessons. Um, it rocks. Like you said, it's made for large crowds. It's, Definitely. It's, it's heavy. It's fun. It's catchy. It's melodic. It's anthemic. It's all the good stuff. Everything rock you and want in yeah. a rock record. All the good stuff you want in rock and roll. So do yourselves a favor. Thank us later. Uh, <laughs> go pick up a copy or stream a copy, however you want to do it. Um, so what do y'all think? Fool on the Hill at 170. Julia, what do you think about that? We didn't tie it up. We were kind of constrained on time. Oh, yeah. So what do you think? Too high, too low? Um, Baby Bear's Porridge, just right? It, I, I think it's pretty good. Pretty okay? There's okay. still a lot to go. There is. There is. And um, it's a it's a... It's hard though because, like you said, there's like five different melodies in the song. Yeah. Like, turns out they write deceptively complicated <laughs> songs. I it's think true. we've touched on this many times before. For sure. Um, so yeah, it's so hard. Um, but I, I think maybe about right. Okay, I'll take it. I'll take it. If I had to move it, I'd maybe go a little bit higher because just. As I said, despite the abrasiveness of that yeah. recorder, it's so crazy. I think if I can look past the recorder, I maybe bump it up a few spots. Yeah. Maybe like 10, 15. Yeah. Maybe 20. I have to look at what's in front of it. but Yeah, me too. It is just, you know, Damon called it sugary, and it's just such a sugary, sweet melody all the way through. Mm-hmm. Each section is just tastier than the last. That's true. Yeah. Um, now I want some now, ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> uh, have you watched Magical Mystery Tour, the movie, the nope. film? Have you watched when while researching for this? Did you watch the video? Nope. Okay, I'm going to say this: um, the film is fucking weird. Like <laughs> it's just. I've seen Head. Is it weirder than Head? Yes. Oh. oh. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm going to say yes. 
Um, That's weird. Yeah, it's really weird. <laughs> um, it's this very disjointed, weird thing where I mentioned it in, earlier in the show. Um, you know, Paul did like a pie chart, like a pie and like split up, uh, you know, I get this corner, Ringo gets this corner, John gets this, George gets this, uh, you know, we're going to be on this coach trip and, you know, you're going to write a song for over here and I'll write a song for over here. Um, and that was like the script of the film mm. was like this weird pie chart okay. that he wrote that he drew on a plane, uh, I think in April of 67. Don't do drugs, kids. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but so all he like on the chart, it just says like, you know, um, music number fool on the hill question mark this is like the least efficient way to do this a pie chart yes yeah he could have easily gotten like a, a typewriter <laughs> free-formed ideas anywho maybe a bar graph <laughs> a bar graph i don't know there's gotta um, be a better way anywho uh he and uh a very small film crew of two people um jumped over to nice france during the filming of it uh to capture the sunrise and paul kind of dancing through the hilltop uh, to the song. Um, it's probably some of the most beautiful film footage you've ever seen. Yeah. Um, it's incredibly well done. And I'm going to say this rarely has a man looked as beautiful as a human being as Paul does in that video. I'm into this. Like you can see why the dude like <laughs> has lived the life he has. Mm-hmm. He's just, the dude just looks so good. Like mm-hmm. he's handsome. He's cool. He's obviously baked out of his gourd, um, <laughs> but he just he looks like a golden god. It's incredible. And it's filmed so nicely. You're like, this doesn't look as nice as like, you know, George looks all splotchy in his. How come no one took the time to, you know, color correct the film for George's part? <laughs> like, mm. Hmm, I don't know. But uh, anyhow, my recommendation, if you've not seen Magical Mystery Tour, is go watch it. Or at least just the Paul part. Uh, watch it. It's 45 <laughs> minutes. Oh, okay. It's not that long of a commitment. It's just weird as hell. Yeah. Um, so prepare for weirdness and uh, report back. I think you and I should watch it this weekend. Before this episode airs, we should watch it. Okay. And then I can post the video on Facebook and you can be like, y'all right. Jonathan was right. He, This man, good looking. <laughs> He's pretty. He's pretty. He's pretty. So friends, that's enough yapping. What do you think? At Fool on the Hill at 170. Is it too high? Is it too low? Or just like... Uh, we're doing this. Tell me tell me what it's like. No, I'm not participating in this. Just like Baby Bear's Porridge. <laughs> is it just right? I hate you so much. <laughs> uh, let this us know... the worst part of the podcast. <laughs> That's going to be our, our t-shirt line. I'm going to quit over this. Just like Baby Bear's Porridge. No, I'm going to quit. I'll quit. <laughs> <laughs> so let us know uh, what you all think in the Facebook posts and Twitter and Instagram comments. Uh, let us know your thoughts on Fool on the Hill. Uh, let us know what you think of Damon's record once you've listened to it. Um, super, super good stuff. I think you're all going to love it. So hopefully you've had a good time. We've had a good time today. This has been a fun one. Yes. Um, if you're not following us on the social medias, I highly encourage it. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at... Ranking the Beatles. On Instagram at... Ranking the Beatles. And on Twitter at... Ranking Beatles. That's right. And if you're enjoying it, we hope you will uh, consider leaving us a, uh, a nice review, preferably with as many stars as you can, on your podcast provider of choice. Uh, so, and also, you know, tell a friend about us. We're getting the little word of mouth build here and there. Yeah. So tell your friends, uh, your Beatle-loving friends, to check out 
ranking the Beatles. So, uh, anyhow, that's about it, gang. So until next week, have a wonderful week. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Julia. This has been Ranking the Beatles. Adios. Bye, y'all. We love you, Aaron Neville. <laughs>